0: I uh, want you to find your, your spot to Genesis chapter 13, Genesis 13, and I love the title of today's message, Finding Intimacy with God. How are you doing there? Uh, do you have intimacy with God? You're saying, man, I didn't even know that was such a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. God created you for this purpose that you might know him, that you might have a close relationship with him. And God desires to have an intimate relationship with you. Uh, The problem is we're not always desiring the same. And uh, today we're going to learn about a man, uh, just a, a fantastic journey that we were on. We are in a thrilling Bible story. I tell you what, this is an epic adventure. If it was a movie, it would be a blockbuster. We are looking at the life of Abram, and uh, it is full of intrigue and interesting things that just twist and plot twist, and, and, and yet God remains faithful through it all. And we're picking up on this story that we've been in. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And God made a covenant with a total sinner God chooses to save and redeem total sinners. There's a man named Abram. He lived in the Ur of the Chaldees. The Ur of the Chaldees was worshiping other gods. There was a pantheon of gods they worshiped. Uh, They had temples and uh, prostitutes and all kinds of things that were just incredibly sinful. And there from that pagan land, God calls an individual. And he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to know me. And I want you to leave this land that you're in, and I want you to begin to sanctify your life. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your homeland, and I want to take you to a place where I will make you a great nation. He makes a covenant with this sinner. He says, I want to transform your life. And I love this about God. This is what he does. This isn't unusual. This is what he does in our lives. He calls us in our sin. You might be a gambler. You might be a hothead. You might have just an amazing temper that just... You might be a prostitute. You might be a drug addict. You might be a pornographer. You might be a homosexual. You might be a whatever, fill in the blank, a greedy, egotist, uh, narcissist, whatever, right? And God says, I want you to come to me. And I want you to leave behind the things that you've been walking in. And I want you to come to me. I want to have intimacy with you, and I want, you to, I want to bring you into a promised land. I want you to leave the things of, of old, and I want you to learn how to walk with me. And that's what he's doing with Abram. Uh, 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 there, is, there is no person that God cannot reach, but when he reaches us, he doesn't say, oh, you can just stay in there. You can just stay in that filth that you're living in. No, no, no. He calls us out of it that we might walk with him. And so he calls Abram and he makes a covenant with them. And this covenant is amazing. He says, Abram, I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to, to understand who I am. I want to have a close relationship with you. And I'm doing that for this reason. I want all the other nations on the earth to see this relationship and to go, wow, there is a true and living God and that you might be a witness to all the world of what it means to be in fellowship with me. You see, when God calls us to himself, not only does he ask us to leave the old life, but he invites us to a new life, a new life of building the kingdom with him, of walking in truth and sharing the love of of Jesus to the rest of the world. He invites us to participate with him in building his kingdom. And that's what he does with Abram. So Abraham leaves and he goes on the journey and he goes and he doesn't do it perfectly. We never do. He stumbles and he bumbles. He goes up to Haran, spends years there in the wrong spot. Finally, his dad dies and God gets his attention and speaks to him again. And says, hey, now that your dad's gone, how about doing what I asked you to do? And Abraham leaves Haran and he goes down to the land of Canaan and uh, enters into the promised land. And what's interesting is God's ways are so peculiar. We looked at this last week. Uh, He goes to the promised land, and ironically, I mean, major plot twist, he gets to the promised land, and instead of it being filled with pots of gold and rainbows, there's a famine in the promised land. And God is beginning to build his faith. And there, uh, in that famine, we see his faith stumble. He's young in his walk with the Lord. And he says, uh, I, I got to feed my crew. Abram had a big crew. God had blessed him. He had gotten wealthy. He had a very large group, perhaps even as big as a 1,000 people uh, uh, is what we can guess, uh, in his company. And it wasn't like he just had to feed himself. You know, I can do that with a granola bar and a water bottle. No, no, no. I got to feed this whole group, right? And so he says, let's, let's go down to Egypt. There's a famine, severe famine. And so they go down to Egypt. His thinking in this is well, Egypt has the Nile River, and they are very advanced in agriculture. They have advanced irrigation, they can produce food. Uh, let's go down there. We'll, we'll get food down there. A lack of faith. God would have provided for him, but he lacks faith. He gets to Egypt, and he's worried. He didn't think it through. He starts, gets close to Egypt, and he goes, Oh my gosh, my wife is beautiful. Egypt is a corrupt place. They're going to kill my wife, take all my stuff, and take my wife. Uh, So he says, baby, tell him you're my sister. And so they go in. They tell him, she's a sister. Uh, She's beautiful. Uh, They take him. Hey, king, pharaoh, uh, there's this beautiful woman here. Uh, She's very rich. This whole company is with her. And by the way, she's single. And the Pharaoh says, get her for me. And he takes her into his harem. And unknowingly, Abram, in his selfishness, in his lack of faith, in his desire to self-preserve, self-protect, doesn't trust God. And unknowingly, he puts the entire Abrahamic covenant at risk, in jeopardy. You see, this Abrahamic covenant was profound. God said, not only am I going to bless you, not only am I going to give you an entire homeland, not only am I going to make your name great, but also, I am going to bring the Messiah through you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abram, saying, Sarah is my sister, allowing his wife to go into the harem of another man, Almost ruins the Abrahamic covenant. Almost throws it away. But God is a redeemer. And even though Abram is stumbling and falling and messing up, lacking faith, almost ruining the covenant, God is a savior. And he comes in and he saves. And he does something very peculiar. He causes a, a plague we read last week, to come on the nation Israel, excuse me, to come on the, uh, the nation Egypt, on the entire uh, uh, Pharaoh and on Pharaoh's entire court. And uh, we, we can take an educated guess by what the scripture alludes to. Uh, I think that God made all the men in Egypt impotent and they knew that it was because of Sarai and it was because of Abram and it was because of the true and living God. And this Pharaoh and all his court says, man, we got to do something. We don't like this. And they knew it was because of Sarah and they said, get get him out of here. Get Abram and Sarah out of here. And so they kick him out. Kick him out of Egypt. And this is where we are right now. This pagan Egyptian king rebukes God's man and Abram leaves uh, with his tail between his legs uh, leaves Egypt by the way what kind of witness do you think Abram was for God in Egypt how much uh, is Pharaoh and all of his court and all of Egypt impressed with this man how impressed are they No, he left a bad taste in their mouth for God. His lack of faith, his selfishness, his uh, self-preservation, his lying, all of it left a bad taste in the unbeliever's mouth for God. You ever been a bad witness for Jesus? Oh, I have. And this is, imagine what is going on in Abram's heart as he now publicly rebuked for his sin leaves Egypt. And this is the epic drama of the story. What's the next chapter? What's going to happen next? Is God done with Abram? Does he say, hey, man, that was pathetic. You were a bad witness. I'm done with you. Uh, Let's take a look at what happens. Chapter 13. uh, Are you there? Let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, we're so thankful for your Bible. We're so thankful for the power that is in it. And Lord, we realize we're not reading a mere story. We're reading history. We're reading his story, your story, Lord. The story of redemption being told through the life of a man. Lord, would you allow us to hear what your spirit would speak to us today? And Lord, may you speak to each and every one. Many going through a lot of different things. Lord, may your words speak to us and may we grow. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 13, verse 1. Give me a big amen if you're there. Abram went up from Egypt and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Uh, a couple of things there to start out. Abram went where? Went up. Uh, whenever you go to the promised land in the Bible, you're going up. Uh, when he went to Egypt, if you remember, chapter 12, it says Abram went down to Egypt. Whenever you leave the promised land you're going down in the Bible. And uh, it's a metaphor, but it is so true. Uh, Remain in the promised land. Abraham now goes back up to the promised land, and he takes his wife with him, and all that he had, and Lot with him, still taking Lot. And it says here he goes to the south. Uh, That is really uh, uh, only kind of confusing for us, because we know Egypt is south of Israel, right? Israel's to the north. When it says he goes to the south, the word in Hebrew is the Negev, and the Negev is southern Israel. So what it should say is he goes to the south of Israel. He's going north, but he's going to the south of Israel. Uh, here's a map for you to show uh, exactly where he went. Uh, Egypt is down here, of course, to the south, and this is Google Maps. Uh, I did it for walking. That's the trail. That's the walking trail to the Negev, the southern Israel. It's 620 miles Walking uh, That would take about a month. So this is a long journey. And think about it's going to be extra long for one guy uh, as he leaves with his tail between his legs, publicly rebuked for his sin. A long, arduous, 600-mile journey, right? to think about it. And so he goes to the south uh, of Israel, or the Negev, uh, verse two, and Abram. Was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Uh, why was he very rich, church? Why? God's favor on his life. God had made him a very good businessman, and everywhere he went, he just prospered. Uh, God, uh, you know, he was shrewd in business, he was good in business, and God's favor was also on him. I want you to know, uh, just as a sidebar, God is not against wealth. There is nothing wrong with wealth. Uh, Wealth is just really a thing. It really doesn't matter. God is not against wealth, but do you know what he is against? He's against trusting wealth. He's against loving wealth. He's against loving money. Uh, Those things are very bad for us. And I have found it's, it's, there's, there's really no sin in being wealthy, uh, but there is a great sin in trusting wealth and loving wealth. And I have found that even, uh, even the poor often love wealth, uh, oftentimes more than the wealthy do, uh, and love money. So, uh, may we be careful. Uh, the, the love of money is, is a, is, is not a good thing. Uh, but being wealthy, Abrams, God made him wealthy. Um, verse three. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel. Uh, From the south means now he goes from the the Negev, the south of Israel, and now he journeys even further. So he finishes that 620 mile journey. Now he finishes, goes even further from the south of Israel, the Negev, up to Bethel. Bethel is right by Jerusalem. And Bethel means house of God. Bethlehem. House of bread. Beth is house. El is God. Bethel, he goes up to the house of God. Uh, uh, And look at this. I love this. He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel. And highlight this or underline this, if if you will. To the place where his tent had been in the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai. In the place of the altar which he had made there. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. He returns to the place of the altar, the altar where he had made. uh, Everybody say this with me if you will. The place of the altar. altar. That was the place where he worshipped the true and living God. That was the place where he was in the land that God called him to be. That was where he was in the place where he was walking in faith. That was the place where he was abiding in God. That was the place where he was trusting God instead of trusting his wealth. He comes back to the place of the altar. That is the place where we are to be. Abraham went into Egypt, not trusting God, but trusting in Egypt Abraham went into Egypt, not trusting in God to provide, but trusting in himself to provide. He was consumed with the things of the world, living for his fleshly desires. And do you know what happened? There in Egypt, Abram lost intimacy with God. When we step out of fellowship, the intimacy that God wants us to have is the first thing that we lose. And Abraham lost intimacy with God. Here he comes back and he finds it again. And I want to encourage you, if you have lost intimacy with God, return to the place of the altar. Return to the place of the altar. And you say, well, where the heck is that? I want you to know the place of the altar is not a geographical place. For God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. It's not, a, it's not a geographical place. You say, then what is it? Well, it's a place of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. It's a place where we are trusting his lordship, where we are trusting his word, where we are uh, uh, trying to obey God to the best of our ability, trying to learn his ways. It's a place where our faith is real and it's directing our life. Abraham returns to that. And it's a great place to be. It's a place of gratitude and worship. Lord, thank you so much that you still want to have a relationship with me. A place of gratitude for the forgiveness of sin that flows freely to all who look to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you not so thankful that your sins are not numbered? Are you not so thankful that your sins are not held before you as a penalty? Are you not so thankful that we have a God who says, my mercy and my grace is new and abundant? How often? Every morning, every blink of your eye. I am so thankful that God does not hold my sin against me. And the place of the altar is where a place where we walk in gratitude in worship, just like you are doing today. Lord, I can't wait to start my week. The first day of the week, early in the morning, I come to church. I worship you. I praise you. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. Lord, I rededicate my life to you anew and afresh today. Lord, I want to walk with you. Fill me with your spirit. You are worthy of all of our, all of our praise. Uh, that is why we gather, and good on you, by the way. Good on you. The place of the altar is a place of genuine faith. It's a place of gratitude and worship. It's also a place where we're hungering to know God. Hungering to know God's word. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to know what would you have me do. Well, Lord, I want to know more of you. I want to have uh, a fellowship with you, Lord. Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, I need your insight. You see, Lord, I've got this child, and they're going through this thing, and Lord... Uh, The world is just taking them and and bringing them down the wrong path. And and it's like they're stuck in a riptide. and, And, Lord, I'm losing them. Lord, give me wisdom to speak into my child's life. Lord, I'm hungering to hear from you. That's the place of the altar. Lord, I've got this marriage and Lord, I'm getting, I'm tired and I'm weary and I'm not even loving my spouse as I should right now. Lord, Lord, I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Lord, strengthen me. I need to hear from you. Give me, give me a word. Give me your, your instruction. Give me light, Lord, that I could be the husband, the wife that you've called me to be. That is the place of the altar. And there, when we come to that place of the altar, we find intimacy with God. Abram's soul refreshed. He had been in a dry, barren land. He went to Egypt for food. He found himself spiritually starving. He went to Egypt because there was a famine. He found himself in a spiritual famine. He went to Egypt because he was afraid of losing it all. He found that he was almost spiritually bankrupt. Lord, I want to come back to the place of the altar. I want to come back into intimacy with you. And there he finds intimacy and is in awe of God's goodness and grace. Church, all, believer, all, I just ask you this morning has sin taken its toll on you? Has your relationship with the world, Egypt, a picture of the worldliness? Has your relationship with the world left you barren, empty, and broken? Have you had a belly full of sin and now uh, you're longing to have the intimacy with, with, with God? I want you to know intimacy with God awaits all those who come back to the place of the altar, the place of genuine faith in Jesus, of gratitude and worship, and a hunger to know his word so he can lead and guide us. Intimacy awaits. I am so thankful that there, as Abram comes back, God speaks to him again. And he doesn't say, I'm done with you. What were you thinking? He doesn't even bring up his sin. He just says, you're forgiven. Let's move forward and let's build this kingdom. Wow. Oh, the goodness of God. Times of refreshing when we come back to the altar of Jesus Christ. Oh, may we come back. May we be there even now as we speak. In Acts chapter uh, Uh, three, there's a great passage that speaks of this intimacy and this time of refreshing that comes on us when we come back to the altar. Uh, Let's read this as a big thundering unified voice together. Uh, Let's let Subway across the street hear this verse. Uh, Read with me. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Wow so that I could talk to you and lecture you about your sins. No, 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 no. So they could be what? Amen. Cleansed, wiped away, forgiven, removed all oh, the goodness of our God. And look at this. Read, let's read it out loud. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Wow yeah, Egypt is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. I wash all that away. You're still my guy. I've made a covenant with you. Now let's walk together. Times of refreshing. Abram's soul filled uh, that you might be in the presence of the Lord. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. You know, the carnal read of this passage, the, the fleshly read of this passage, we would read it and go, well, wow, God really blessed Abraham in Egypt. He got even more rich. He was already rich when he went there, and now he got even, even more rich. Yeah, that's true, uh, but I tell you, that is a foolish uh, uh, appraisal. Uh, uh, let me just say, Egypt was not a blessing for, for Abram. And wealth is a poor poor gauge of God's blessing. Don't think just because you're financially doing well, if you are uh, in this economy, good on you, by the way. But don't think just because you have money that you are being blessed by God. Uh, Wealth is a poor gauge of God's blessing. Don't believe me? Just ask Elon Musk $250 billion, his net worth. Richest man in the world. He has power. He has fame. He has a brilliant mind. He has success. And he doesn't even have, if you read the news this week, doesn't even have his son. His 17, 18-year-old son wants to separate himself from his dad, change his last name, and get a sex change operation. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The answer? Nothing. And you can have the wealth of Egypt and still be barren and bankrupt. And you walk around looking successful, but inwardly your soul is broken. You are empty That's where Abraham was. Abraham now comes back to the altar, and his soul is filled. His soul fills its worth, and now his fellowship and intimacy with God returns. Oh, how amazing God is. We presume that Abraham was blessed in Egypt. Oh, I want you to know uh, wealth is a poor gauge, poor gauge. Egypt was not a blessing for Abram. If I know anything about women, first service laughed when I said that. (laughs) Apparently they don't think I know anything about women. (laughs) If I know (laughs) anything, and now I'm going through puberty. Uh, If I know anything about women, Abram's marriage was not blessed in Egypt. Sarah didn't look, look at Abram with eyes of twinkle in Egypt. Sarah did not feel like she was of one flesh with Abraham in Egypt. She didn't feel connected to her husband. Uh, she didn't feel secure in her husband's love. If I know anything about women, his marriage was not blessed in Egypt. As a matter of fact, his marriage leaves in Egypt with some scars, with some insecurity. And insecurity in a woman's life from being insecure in her husband's love will produce bizarre behaviors. And men, you will go around trying to fix those bizarre behaviors and you will be chasing your tail because the problem is she's not secure in your love. His marriage was not blessed in Egypt. And if I know anything about God... Abram's soul wasn't blessed in Egypt uh, 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 Abram's soul was restless in Egypt I'm sure nothing felt right I'm sure he was edgy I'm sure he was depressed I'm sure he just felt off in all that he did and if I know anything about spiritual growth and personal character Abram wasn't blessed in Egypt either As he felt dry and distant from God in Egypt, as he was unfruitful in building the ministry that God had called him to build, he surely wasn't building a lot in Egypt, as we're going to see in just a moment. He surely wasn't building his wife in Egypt as a spiritual leader, as we can clearly see. And he surely wasn't a good witness to the non-believers in the world in Egypt as he leaves a bad taste in their mouth for his Selfish, sinful, lying lifestyle. And think about how he leaves. Humbled and broken and publicly exposed, he leaves Egypt and he goes back to the place of the altar and once again he worships God, he asks for forgiveness and the peace that passes understanding comes upon him as God's spirit ministers to him and Abraham's soul feels its worth as he enters back in to intimacy with God. If you want to know if life was more satisfying in the wealth of Egypt or at the altar of God's presence, just take a look at what Abram does next and you'll have your answer. Look at verse 5. He leaves Egypt. Lot also was with him, with Abram, and Lot also had flocks and herds and tents. Verse 5, what do we learn about Lot right there? He's really rich too. God has blessed him. Uh, he's, he's really wealthy. Uh, he's riding on uh, Uncle Abram's coattails, and, and uh, his business is flourishing as a result. Verse 6, Now the land was not able to support them, now that's Abram and Lot, that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. God had called Abram to be separated from Lot. God had called Abram to be separated from his pagan homeland. God is sanctifying Abram, trying to lead him into a new path of righteousness, trying to get him alone with God. Right? Abram had been disobedient. Notice what God does here. He blesses them financially so much that they can't, you know, the land can't support all the livestock they have. Look at verse 7. Uh, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Uh, the, 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 the they had so many cattle, so many sheep, so much livestock that wherever they went, uh, there was just too, much, too many animals on that little small plot of land. And uh, strife starts coming, tension starts coming. Hey, listen, if there are some relationships that you need to cut off, cut them off. Pay attention. God has called Abram to separate from this. And God is going to make sure this happens. Uh, Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me. And between your herdsmen, my herdsmen, and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Hey, we're family. Uh, We see how big their company was, right? They each had a lot of employees. And he says, Hey, listen, uh, I don't want any strife between us. Verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. How gracious. And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw the plain of Jordan, that it was really well watered everywhere. Uh, it was verdant, man. It was lush. It was like really rich. Uh, then a parathen- parenthetical statement. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, uh, after that, uh, it didn't look that way. And and, uh, Moses is saying, hey, before that, it was really just lavish. Um, Like the garden of the Lord. He's talking about the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Or, uh, you know, he's just giving synonyms for like this really lush place. Um, We see some interesting things here. Uh, Abraham models some good instruction for us. He models some good instructions on how to deal with family members when there is conflict. You ever have any conflict with any family members? No. No, not us. Uh, Hey, we all do. And here we're going to see, Abraham gives us some good instruction. Uh, We're going to see three points that we can apply when we have conflict with a family member. And I think if we uh, take note of these, we're really going to get some, uh, some really good tips, some really good instruction. Abraham and Lot had both become so wealthy, God's favor on them. And think about it. Lot is just riding Abram's coattails, right? Uh, he's learning about business from Abram. His business is succeeding because of Abram. Abram had tons of camels. Camels were like uh, a trucking company. It was like Pinsky, right? It was like uh, you wanted to move from place to place, you'd come and you rent a cam- camel from Uncle, Uncle Abraham, right? And, uh, and they're, they're prosper- prospering. And they had so much, right? And the land can't hold them. And this conflict arrives. And here we see something really profound. This is just a good thing to hold on to. Abram takes the initiative to resolve the dispute, Church, you are God's man. You are God's woman. As children of God, you are a spiritual leader. You are a builder of of men and women. You are a builder of others. You're to bring light and truth wherever you go. And here's what we learn. Here's what God wants. Here's what it looks like when Abram is abiding in God. He's walking in faith right now. He's back at the place of the altar. He's worshiping God. And this is what happens. He says, Hey, I'm going to take the initiative. There's a rub in my family. I'm going to take the initiative to get this fixed. And he doesn't wait until there's strife between he and Abram, there's strife between. Abram's servants and Lot's servants, and he says, that's enough. I want to deal with this. Take the initiative. Uh, That's what Abram did. He says, uh, 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 you know, I want to get this right. Uh, There's a phrase in the Bible, a verse in the Bible, a well-known phrase. We all know it. Uh, I'm going to say it. You finish it for me. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know this passage. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What does that mean? it means exactly what's on your screen right here. Take the initiative to resolve disputes when you've got a rub between you and someone. Take the initiative. You're God's man. What's interesting in the part where you don't memorize about that verse, it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, but it also says, nor give place to the devil. You see, when we don't resolve disputes, we're giving a place for the enemy to work in our life. And so take the initiative. Uh, The second thing that we see uh, is um, Abram is willing to give away what he deserves. We want to be willing to give away what we deserve. Uh, He says, Lot, uh, let's think about it for a moment, right? Uh, Who deserved first choice in this whole thing? Abram. He was the patriarch. He was the one that helped Lot have everything. Uh, Lot only has what he has because Abram's taught him everything he knows. He's only reaping the overflow of Abraham's blessing on his life. He owes everything to Abram. And Abram should have had first choice for sure. Abram was older. He was Lot's mentor. Abram had the right to choose. And here, Abram is willing to be cheated and willing to be wronged. He's willing to give away what he deserves. Notice what he tells him. Hey, if you say I'm going to the right hand, I'll give you the right hand. I'll go to the left. If you say go to the left, I'll go to the right. And giving the other person when the offense offense is there, giving the other person the opportunity to say, hey, what exactly is it that you want is just a really wise thing to do well, I can't do that. They might ask something I don't want. Why don't you be willing to give that up? This is what the Bible teaches. Uh, This is who we are to be. I want you to know this is what love does. Love puts the needs of the other above self. And for the sake of family, this is really important. By the way, is this not how Jesus loves you? Did he not give everything? Did he not give everything to give you what you don't deserve? Did he not leave heaven where when he issued a command, it was executed perfectly? And come to a world when he issues a command and everybody says, I'm not doing that. Did he not leave heaven where he was worshiped and praised? And come to a land where he was rebuked, despised, spit on, and rejected? And did he not do all that so that you could have his riches at his expense? Where you could be blessed at his expense? This is what love does. Uh, May I remind you uh, of how what Jesus did for us. Isaiah 53 on your screens. By the way, this verse prophesied about Jesus written 700 years before he ever went to the cross. Uh, take, uh, read this with me. It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Yeah, we didn't even realize at the time what was happening, right? Uh, let's go on. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Let's stop there just for a second. Did you drink that in? He suffered all the wrong so we could be made right. And what a suffering it was. This is what love is. And this is what love does. Uh, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Uh, let's go on. We have left God's past to follow our own, and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is what God does. And now, you know what he wants us to do? He says, I want you to be like me. Can you take the high road for me? I want you to initiate reconciliation with this family member that you have a rub with. And I want you to be willing to suffer some loss in this, even if you don't deserve it, even if it's unjust, because that's what love does. The church in Corinth uh, was a, uh, a messy church. They were a young church uh, saved out of a really corrupt town, pagan, uh, pagan town. Uh, Corinth was a lot like California. I call it First Californians instead of First Corinthians. Uh <laughs> Paul wrote four letters to the church in Corinth because they were so messed up. They were hyper-spiritual. They thought they were super-spiritual, and they thought spirituality looked like uh, doing impressive things spiritually. It was all about self. And Paul wrote four letters to them to try to get them on track. Two of them were lost. Two of them we have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Uh, there was a problem in the church where they were actually suing each other. Suing each other. A brother in the church was suing another brother in the church. Jason couldn't sit by George because some rub, right? And Paul comes to them and says, this is incredible. You're brothers. And you're suing each other? that's crazy and you're taking the case and you're not even bringing it to a member in the church you're taking it to a judge who isn't even a Christian and you're having a pagan judge who doesn't even walk with God settle your dispute is there not a godly man in the church that you can both go to and you can get reconciliation on this thing he said but furthermore let's get to the real thesis of the matter And this is a direct quote. It is already an utter failure for you to bring charge against your brother. Why don't you just allow yourself to be wronged? It's already a failure that you're even striving for getting what's yours. Why don't you just let yourself suffer wrong? Is that not honoring to God? Is that not loving to your brother? And God, cannot God more than make up whatever it is you give away? Oh, he can. Where's your faith? And so here we see God's heart, not just with Abraham, but God's heart with his church and what he wants us to look like. And I know we all have family members that are probably coming to mind already. Do you? I do, of who I need to walk these things out with. Take the initiative and be willing to give away uh, you know, things that are going to maybe you, know, you think you deserve. And the third thing we see with Abraham is that he puts his family health above his own desires. Listen, we're brothers. And us being on good terms is more important to me than anything else. Lot's lack of character was clearly revealed. And he burns his uncle Abraham here and he takes the very best for himself. And here it is so admirable about Abram. We see him growing in his walk with the Lord. Abram willingly takes it on the chin because he valued his family and he trusted God's word. May we value family that way. May we hold on to these things. Uh, It's interesting. Abram left the promised land when there was a famine because he thought he needed the wealth of Egypt. And now realizing the failure of that move, Abram gladly says you take the wealth of the land. I just want to walk with the Lord. That's where my soul is really satisfied. And uh, so awesome for us to see. Uh, Again, there's probably some family members you're thinking of that you need to take these three steps with. Can I encourage you? Start today. As soon as you leave church, take that first step. Because the second step can't happen until what? Until that first step is taken. Take it today. Do not delay. Uh, We see something in Lot here that I want us to be aware of. And may it put the fear of God into us. You see, Lot is an archetype of a carnal Christian. Lot is, Lot is an archetype of a half-hearted Christian, uh, a half-hearted believer. Uh, Lot, here we see, he is a picture of a half-hearted believer in that he professes faith in God, but he's controlled by his flesh. He knew he was making a selfish decision. He knew it was unjust. He knew it wasn't right. Lot left Egypt. And uh, was Lot wealthy when he leaves Egypt? He's wealthy, and yet it's still not enough. He wants to pick the wealthy place to go. He wants more wealth, and he wants an easy life. And here we see, no matter how wealthy we are, if we're we're walking in our flesh, it will never be enough. And Lot makes a bad choice that is against God and wounding to his his uncle Abram uh, because of his selfishness. And again, uh, notice the contrast. Abram left Egypt realizing that wealth doesn't satisfy. He was hungry to know more of God and be with God and be back in intimacy with God. Lot, Was not. He wasn't hungry for more of God, nor did he miss the intimacy. Second thing that we see about a half-hearted Christian is Lot has one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Do you understand what I mean by that? Lot believes the things of God, but he loves the things of the world. A miserable place to be. Miserable place to be. Uh, Look at verse eleven. Uh, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and he journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, Lot dwelt dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as where? Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. And verse 13, and the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord." And Lot says, that's where I want to camp out. I want to be near that. I like that. I want to be right next to it. And he puts his tent right at the gate of Sodom as close as he can. You know what the problem is? When we stand with one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the kingdom, uh, we're going to be stretched until we pull a muscle. Right? We're going to be stretched until we get hurt. And you know what the problem is? Which one is going to win? We'll always go towards the way of the world. Because we're not abiding in Christ. And when we're not abiding in Christ, sin will always take us deeper into the sewage pit. You know what we read? Here we read he puts his tent at the gate of Sodom. In chapter 14, we're going to read... Lot now, forget the tent. He buys a condo in Sodom. <laughs> and in chapter 19, you know what we'll read? Forget the condo in Sodom. Now he's a governor. He's a ruler in Sodom. He's in deep. And standing with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom never works. We always end up deeper and deeper in the sin of the world. The third problem of uh, being a, a half-hearted believer is that uh, Lot lacks any good fruit. He has no good fruit in his life. We're going to see in the weeks to come, he was unequally yoked in marriage. And for all the years of his marriage, he has zero godly influence over his wife. Zero. Doesn't build her doesn't wash her with the water of, his word, of the word, doesn't teach her about the love of God, doesn't teach her about the grace and mercy of God, doesn't acknowledge that all his blessings in life came from being with his uncle Abraham who walked with God, doesn't share any of these things with her, so much so that when, when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah and he sends an angel to get Lot and his wife out, Lot's wife won't come. She just loves sin, and she doesn't know God. And she dies separated from God eternally. Lot has no fruit in his life. Furthermore, Lot's daughters, oh, they were righteous girls. We're going to read, weeks to come, they come out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And somehow they had been so perverted by the sexual immorality that was prevalent and rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they have that sexual perversion all in their life. And they have very perverse relations with their own father. No fruit in his life. He didn't train them in the admonition of the Lord. They had no moral standard. They thought everything was relative. They thought truth was relative. They thought sex with anything is fine. And that's what happens when we just walk in the flesh. And God calls us out of that and says, no, 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 I want you to leave all that. And when you're a half-hearted believer, uh, you have no fruit in your life. How horrible to have no fruit in your life. God has called us and invited us to be builders of the kingdom with him. And now Law has no fruit in his life. Just crazy to consider. I'd love to take you further down this path, but I'm, I'm running us out of time. Uh, man, may we may we pay attention? May we pay attention? I want you to know, half-hearted Christians are conflicted creatures. Second uh, Peter tells us that Lot's righteous soul was vexed every day by the stuff he was taken in. He wasn't at peace. And we think we can have one foot in the in the kingdom and, and get away with it, man. Not true. Just not true at all. Uh, his life bared uh, bad fruit. And the Bible warns us: it says, "Hey, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also what reap. And if he sows to his flesh corruption, he will reap major corruption. Lot reaped major corruption. His girls were a mess." His life was a mess. His marriage was a mess. But if we uh, sow to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the Lord the things of the Spirit, we will reap everlasting life. Uh, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. Uh, and uh, here we see. I want to wrap up our time, though. Let's jump in. Let's see if we can finish this chapter. Um, can you hang with me a couple more minutes? Let's wrap this up. Verse 14. I love this. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to put a little number three right there in your Bible on the margin, number three. I'll tell you why in just a minute. The Lord said to Abraham, uh, here God is speaking to Abraham. Wow. Lot finally leaves Abraham and God is speaking to Abraham. I love it. Uh, the, lot, <clears throat> the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated, lift up your eyes now. And look to the place where you are. Look northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants. Say this next word with me out loud. How long? Forever. Forever. The nation Israel is yours, Abram. I'm giving it to the Jewish people forever. A lot of speculation right now about who that long belong, land belongs to. The creator of the universe says, I gave that to Abram forever. And this covenant still stands today. Uh, Israel is, uh, belongs to the Jews. Verse 16, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, Then you'd be able to number your descendants. In other words, he's saying, Abram, I'm going to give you more descendants than you could ever even count. I'm going to make you a great nation. And here 2,000 years later, how many descendants has Abram had? Count more than we can count, right? God keeps his promises. Uh, Just amazing. Um, Arise, walk in the land. Walk through its length. Walk through its width, for I give it to you. And Abraham moved his tent, and he went and he dwelt by the timber trees at Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Everywhere he goes, he's building altars. He won't leave the place of the altar. He's a worshiper of God. Uh, I love this. I love this. This is the third time that God spoke to Abraham. Uh, if you're a Bible scholar, uh, go through your Bible and find God spoke to Abram seven times. Each one very strategically placed, and we can learn a lot from him. This is the third time God spoke to Abraham here. And when is it? When does he speak to Abraham? Right when what happens? When Lot leaves, right when he finally obeys what God commanded him to do a decade ago. Now Lot leaves and God says, oh, you've obeyed what I've shown you. Now I have another instruction for you. And here's something we can really learn about our walk with God. Here's something we can really learn about how God moves in our life, just as he did in Abraham's life. If we have not obeyed what God has already spoken to us, God will wait to give us our next instruction. Do you want to hear more from God? Do you want to have God speaking to you regularly? Well, here's what God says. Why would I speak to you anymore, Abraham, about your next step? You haven't even done the last step I gave you. And Abram separates from Lot. Uh, the sanctification process is happening. Uh, and God says, way to go. Now I, ha- I have more to tell you. Intimacy with God is found by obeying what God has already shown us. This is what he has for us. And it is uh, so refreshing, uh, so important um, that, we, that, we, that we listen and we, we obey what God has, has shown. The good news, this is the negative side of it, right? If we have not learned to do what God has already shown us, God will wait to give us our next, next instruction. That's the bad side. Here's the good side of it. When we do what God has shown... God reveals more of himself to us. Uh, Man, that is great news. God says, Abram, check it out, man. Uh, And what happens? Well, his relationship with God grows. He understands God more deeply. God reveals more of himself to him. Uh, His life begins to transform even more than it already has. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches, that our lives go from glory to glory from glory at this level to even a greater understanding of God's glory as he reveals more and more of himself to us. Our walk with God is a progressive revelation. He's inexhaustible. I know him better today than I did last year. And I know him better last year than I did 10 years ago. And each year it's exponential. It's right. Right. God is, he's infinite. And I love growing in my knowledge of him. This is what he does. Our relationship with him grows. Listen to what Jesus said about this. Jesus said the exact same thing. Take a look at this verse. This is Matthew 13. Uh, Let me hear you read this. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance. What did he just say? If you do what I've asked you, I'll give you more, and you will have how much? An abundance. You've been faithful with what I've given you. I'm going to reveal more of myself to you. But on the other side, but for those who are not listening, even what little they understand, they will have it taken away from them. Jesus' words, right? He said it in a multitude of ways, by the way. Uh, Now, I want you to know, uh, God wants to reveal more of himself to us. He wants intimacy with us. And we don't have to take a long journey to find God. God has come near to us And he has spoken to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has given us his word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We, God has spoken. All we have to do is listen to him and and walk in his ways. Intimacy with God is ours in Jesus. He's calling us to follow him. And notice what he tells Abram. Abram, look to the north. And what does Abram see as he looks to the north? Well, if you're there in Israel, if you're there in Jerusalem and you look north, You look all the way up and you would see just for countless miles all the way up to the Sea of Galilee even. And he says, Abram, look to the south and he looks back to the south and he sees the Negev that he just crossed through as he came from Egypt and he remembers all of his failures of the past and he says, it's all forgiven, it's all washed and now all this land, look east, look west, it's all yours, it's all yours, Abram. And he tells him, walk in it what is this? Take note. God reminds him of the promise of God. Abram, my covenant with you is not broken. Your sin did not ruin it. My grace has covered you. I forgive you completely. Just walk with me, walk with me and walk in all my promises. Christian, can I tell you something? Do you know what you have here? You have a wealth of promises of God. And here's what God says. I want you to walk in them. I want you to know them. I want you to experience them. I don't want this to be an intellectual thing. Abram, I want you to walk in all my promises and receive them. I want to give you more and more and more. This is who God is. This is what he does. God separates Abram to himself so that he might bless him abundantly. I have a question for you. God finally gets... Abram separated from Lot so he can be alone with him. What does God have to do to get you alone with him? What does God have to do to get you alone with him? And when was the last time? What does God have to do to get your undivided attention? Abraham finally separates from Lot and God says, I've been waiting for this moment. I want to speak to you. And I want you to know the promises that I have for you. And I want you to walk in them. May that be us, church. And may we embrace all that God has for us. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.